How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Hello, welcome in to another edition of Booze and Baseball. This is episode number thirty-one of BNB with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. First up, our throw it back baseball stat of the week. On August 19th, 1978, the Cincinnati Reds defeated the Chicago Cubs 9-7. You had a lineup featuring some pretty big names. Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Ken Griffey, and more. But it was the eight hitter in the lineup, Mike Lum, who went four of five, two driven in, two runs scored. He wound up with over an 800 OPS that year. Have you ever heard of Mike Lum, and what are you drinking tonight? I've never heard of Mike Lum, but I think that that's a pretty interesting storyline for two reasons. Number one, uh, you first just brought out the the Reds and the Cubs. Of course, that's going to be our game next year for the Field of Dreams game, um, which, by the way, Derek, was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but second of all, four for five from an eight spot, that's, uh, that's something you never count on in fantasy purposes. But it just tells you that no matter what kind of lineup you throw out there every day, any given day you can win with uh, whatever you're given. So, uh, no, I've never heard of Mike Lum, though, and it's just a classic name of of some random guy that falls under the radar. As for what I'm drinking, I haven't done any sort of local flair from where I live since I had an 805, what, maybe like 10 episodes ago. Uh, so I decided, uh, Derek, have you ever had a Michelada? Because I never have. Not, And, and it sounds terrible because, you know, as a Dodgers you know fan that goes to Dodger games, that's like one of the main things they sell. And I've never had a Michelada, have you? I have never had one, nor do I want to. I am not a fan of its tomato juice, right? Yeah, that's that's as long as that's that's kind of what I've been uh, hinted at. Um, we're about to find out right now. So this is brewed in San Luis Obispo, where I live. It's called Tio Rodrigo Michelada, and it's mango flavor. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, Derek, I really don't know what to expect from this. I only got a four-pack. Uh and uh, it's 4.5% alcohol volume, by the way. So I'm going to give it a crack right here. All right. That was pretty good sound right there, by the way. Okay. Wow. That is spicy. That is uh, <laughs> wow. I did not expect that. That's, that's not what I want to hear when you first have a drink. Hey, wow. That was spicy. I want to hear like, oh, that was refreshing. That tasted good. It was crisp. It was, not spicy. So I, I'll just say this. like I don't like tomato juice. I don't like Bloody Marys. So I feel like I would not like that at all. 
You know, it honestly, Derek, it tastes like like mango salsa. It tastes like a mango salsa beer. I mean, honestly, I don't mind it. I don't know if I could. I'm I'm interested. Check back in with me at the end of the show <laughs> to see if I finish this. That's going to be the big thing. The one thing I will say is this just tastes like heartburn to me, to be mm. honest with you. It tastes like heartburn. I don't think it tastes bad, but I've never had a Mikulata before. And, you know, it, it, for all the hype about Mikuladas, and as much as I like spicy food, I don't know if this is necessarily something I'd go out to just go and buy again. It's It was calling my name at the store. I was like, I might as well experiment with it. And uh, if you're listening and you like Mikuladas, I want you to do us a favor and tweet at us explaining why you do, um, because I'm still trying to debate whether I like this or not. So while I figure that out, Derek, what are you drinking? All right. This is, I, I got the variety pack from Prost Brewery in Colorado. I had the Kolsch last week. This week we're going with the Pilsner. Good. Not uh, not too hoppy. If you're not really into hops, you'll like that beer. It's just smooth. It's crisp. It's refreshing. Tasty beer. Recommend Which it. Was, I like the Kolsch a little bit better, but... That's what I was going to ask. I, yeah. I mean, Pilsner is just an easy beer to drink. It's just one that you come home from work. Hey, I'll have a Pilsner. Have you ever had a Pilsner Uriquel? I think that's how you pronounce it, right? No. Uh, it's out of the Czech Republic. And I don't know how how they distribute it in the United States. I've had it. I've seen it out here. Obviously it's, it's one of the more major brands of Pilsner. That's probably my favorite one that I've had, but I, I, I actually had that um, in Czech Republic. So this is a German brand. You said, yeah. Prost. Okay. So Prost to another show here on BNB. And we're going to be doing a couple things on this show. We'll have our shotgun six pack later. We're going to do a fantasy draft of fields that they should play games at. We'll get to that in a second. But first things first, we're going to do a little would you rather with young Dynasty League pitchers. First up, Jonathan Loesiga or TJ Antone? Yeah, this is the, I mean, the list that we have set up here, it's it's very close head to head on almost every one of these, like very debatable. I After watching what I've seen from uh, Loesiga here this past week, that guy has filthy stuff, Derek. I mean, I, he throws 99 with movement. Um, some of the more nasty pitches that I've seen. Um, and it's part of the reason I think why the Yankees brought him up. They needed a guy like that to to kind of help get to where they are today, which is a lot better than the last time we recorded, um, obviously at the top of that wild card slot. Uh, I, I like him more. I think longevity-wise, he makes more sense. He was a top prospect coming up. Um I think TJ kind of came on the scene just this year. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know much about that guy until this season. Um, I'm not sure if you, it was the same situation for you, but uh, you know, we've been hearing about Loisaga for a little bit now because he was a hyped prospect uh, in that Yankee system. And I think that we're finally getting to see some of his good stuff. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I'd prefer him over TJ just because I've, I enjoy, maybe it's the eye test for me more than anything else. I really like TJ Antone. And I think it's good to point out the fact that, you know, he's like 99th percentile in fastball spin, 97th in curve spin, gets a lot of action there, 93rd in, in fastball velocity. And the stats are fantastic. 187 ERA, 0.86 whip. He's been kind of a swing man where you can use him for multiple innings. You can use him to save a game. Has been injured, obviously. Luisica. 
doesn't have as good of raw stats as Antone does, especially the strikeouts. Antone's getting you uh, – he has his 42 and 33 and two-third innings pitch, so well over one per inning, whereas Loisega is slightly below the one per inning threshold that you're kind of looking at. So there's, there's that going against it. But if you look at the baseball savant page, it is – it's like a murder scene. It is littered it really with red is. for jo- Jonathan Loisega. So um, – Two guys who I think are very interesting because both have excelled in their bullpen role as kind of swingmen to where they're not getting saves or holds necessarily. Sometimes it is the multi-inning relief role. Both guys that I'm very interested to see what they can do as starting pitchers. And I think you have something there with both guys, but I think I'd do a slight lean to Jonathan Loisiga just because he's shown maybe a little bit better of an ability so far over the last year and a half just to stay healthy than TJ Antone is. And that obviously matters, especially for pitchers. Something interesting to look at with Loisaga too. He uses his sinker 55% of the time. He only uses his four seam Derek less than 4% of the time. So I, I wonder if maybe, you know, with time he gets more command of that four seam fastball and maybe that becomes another pitch that he can really locate. And Hey, you know what they say? Uh, and this has been a classic saying that, if you can locate the four-seam fastball, then you got three to four other great pitches that nobody's going to be able to hit. So that's going to be interesting to see if uh, he continues to heavily rely on the, the sinker like he does. He has a repertoire of four pitches. He also throws the curveball and a changeup. Uh, the barrel rate is what's interesting to me. Only 3.5% barrel rate, which is pretty unbelievable, as you mentioned. Uh, just some of these you know, advanced statistics – uh, are just ridiculous for a little while ago. So that's that's why I kind of lean his direction. And I think he just has the better stuff overall. But yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing to take away from TJ. TJ has had a phenomenal season. Yeah, and both guys that rely on the sinker, both, I mean, it's very, very similar all the way through. So honestly, I'd be trying to buy both guys because you might be able to get them a little cheaper than their value is if you could try to get both in a dynasty league, especially if you were maybe not contending where you can buy them low right now when they're not starters. Now, if you're in, more of a league where holds matter, then maybe their value is a little bit higher and and you won't be able to buy them low, so to speak, because they're still getting those holds. But otherwise, I would definitely buy both these guys. But yeah, we're both leaning Loisiga here. Dustin May, who is currently injured, got injured earlier this season, or Luis Severino, who is on the way back from injury. Which would you rather have long-term? I I mean – Long term, especially, it's a, it's a pretty obvious answer for me. I know it's not easy to come back from Tommy John, but um, Dustin May has four years of youth compared to Luis Severino. Uh, Severino is 27 years old. His birthday is in February, so by next year it'll be his 28 year old season. Uh, for Dustin May, his birthday is this year still. It's uh, September the sixth. So wish him a happy birthday. And sorry you're not on the field on September the sixth. He'll be 24 though. Um, so you basically have a four year difference between the two of them. As I mentioned, I, I just think that Dustin may, yeah, the recovery is never easy for Tommy John, uh, but he should still be back in the thick of things by summer of next year. And Luis Severino continues to have these setbacks. And it, it you know, it's crazy to me to think, um, because he always does kind of appear as like a younger pitcher, but he hasn't been healthy in two seasons, Derek. So I don't know. I don't know if I really rely on that. Plus, if you just talk about, overall pitching um you know i'd rather trust the the dodgers pitching staff to handle dustin may properly um versus luis severino with that yankee staff it, when's the last time dj that the yankees have had a consistent starting pitcher go out there i mean i honestly can't recall since maybe like masahiro tanaka or since luis severino when he was actually healthy um but that to me is a massive concern that he's had setback after setback 
he's in his prime age too. So yeah, I'd much rather have Dustin May. Well, hey, Nestor Cortez has actually been really good. Jameson Tyon low-key has had like an amazing second half. It's so been far. a really impressive second half for Tyon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Severino just gives them kind of that extra oomph, but he's just always hurt. He's almost like the Byron Buxton of pitchers right now. So I go Dustin May, but I don't think it's it's that big of a difference for me just because with Dustin May, I'm worried coming off the Tommy John, not just about recovering from injury because Severino is too, more so about with the Dodgers pitching depth. And I know right now that's being tested because of how many injuries, but like when all the Dodgers pitchers are there and right, do you, when you have a guy coming back off TJ next year, for instance, do you use him in more of a middle relief role or in like a a spot start role where he's not getting full value there? And I get it. It's a dynasty league. So it is longer term than just next year or the year after that. But that would scare me a little bit. I think the Julio Urias situation is kind of similar to what Dustin May is probably going to go. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right on that. And I I think that, you know, I'm looking long-term as in, you know, five years down the road, Dustin May is going to be very productive versus five years down the road. We may not even see Luis Severino in the league anymore. Right. So, uh, but you're right. I I think that that's something that you have to keep in mind. Uh, One thing that is interesting though, because, you know, it is, insane to me that Dustin May is basically taking the exact same course of action that Julio Arias did. Uh, you saw Arias come in last year in very clutch situations, ended up closing out the World Series. Kenley Jansen's a free agent at the end of this season, and there's no way the Dodgers bring him back for anything less than you know a couple million dollars. I just don't see it even happening at all. Um, they're going to need a guy in that ninth inning or eighth inning, and Blake Trinan will remain to be seen. He's been one of the best relievers in the league. Uh, but you do wonder if Dustin May maybe is just a fully committed reliever next season when he does come back uh, because he won't have spring training to really prepare. So, yeah, you're kind of looking at a guy that probably won't be giving you depth in terms of starts um, for the 2022 season. Uh, but my thing is this. I'd still rather have that than Luis Severino, who has not even proven at this prime age that he can return to be healthy. I mean, he's had setback after setback, and and I'd rather go with the younger guy that gives me more time to buy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's still – it's a pretty obvious choice for me on this one. Um, out of all of our little head-to-heads here, this is the one that I think I'm most convinced by for Dustin May. I, I agree with you. It's just – it's a long time to hold the guy if he's not going to be the starter. But oh, absolutely. You could say the same thing with Luis Severino. Okay, this one's interesting. You can pick – one supporter for each guy. You can pick one champion from each guy here. Any active MLB pitcher, so they have to be in the majors, obviously, from the Royals or any active pitcher from the Tigers. Which is your pick? Pick your champion and then decide which of those two is better for a young Dynasty League pitcher. I mean, think about this, Derek. First of all, in three to four years, when both the Royals and the Tigers are the best teams in that division, or at least along with the White Sox, right? Like, like they're trending in the right direction. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, I am definitely excited about guys like Matt Manning, Casey Mize. Uh, to me, I think I prefer what I'll be seeing from Manning moving forward. But also, if you go to his baseball savant page, it's not the prettiest thing in the world so far. I still liked how he projected, though, coming up through the minors. Um, you know, at the end of the day though, I, I still think Tarek Skubal is the guy that's going to be the guy to watch. Um, you know, he's gotten 
a rather decent look at what the MLB looks like this season. And he's had his ups and downs. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But he's also got put out stuff. Uh, Once again, his baseball savant page, not pretty either this year. Um, It kind of goes back to the discussion that we've had recently, just over the fact that young starting pitchers or young pitchers in general in the MLB just have not trended in the right direction outside of guys like Alec Manoa, um, you know, that have really kind of shown out Tyler Rogers. Uh, but I still think Scooble has the put out stuff. His fastball velocity ranks um, above the top 50% in that. And I, I just think that he's going to gain more command of his pitches. It's tough with those Tigers because you could literally go with almost any one of these guys coming up in that system. I like the Royals pitching as well. Um, but I'm going to stick to my guns. I've been a Tarek Scooble believer for a while now. So he's only 24 years old. He's got the frame at 6'3". He's 240 pounds, which is kind of surprising. I never realized he was that heavy. Um, But I'm curious to see if he uses more of his body uh, to kind of improve that K percentage, which also it's it it ranks in the top, you know, 50%, top 60, actually, I should say, in the MLB right now. Um, There's some things he's got to work on. Uh, but I think for his youth, you know, he's shown at least he has promised this season. I would go with Scooble from the Tigers side for Dynasty League. Casey Mize is going to give you a little more in the here and now, but the ceiling isn't as high as a guy like Scooble. But I'm going to actually go with the Royals pick here. I actually came very close to picking Carlos Hernandez. I actually really like his stuff, uh, what he has, the new youngster for the Royals. But I'm going to go with Daniel Lynch here. So Daniel Lynch came up and really, really struggled. And the word around the team, at least what they were selling out, whether it's true or not, who knows, was that he was pitch tipping. And that was causing the issues when he first came up and struggled in his first couple starts. So he gets sent back down to AAA Omaha, does well. They figure out whatever the issue is. He comes back up. And since coming back up, he has pitched, he has started five games with the Royals. And the teams they've played are the Tigers, who I get it, the Tigers aren't a great offense, but over the last month and a half, they're averaging over five runs per game, are the Tigers, so kind of a hot offense. Besides the Tigers, the other offenses he's faced, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Chicago White Sox, the New York Yankees, and the Houston Astros. Those are four of what? The top five offenses (laughs) in the American League? I mean, that's, that's as good as you can get. And in those starts, he has gone 30 and two-third innings of work and has a 2.35 ERA. That tells me a guy that is improving, he's getting better, and if you look at the overall stats or you look at his baseball savant page, it's not going to look good because it's so tanked down. By He wasn't just bad when he first came up. He was terrible, and I think it does kind of go in line with the idea that maybe he was pitch tipping as the reason why, but now that we've seen him back up, he looks really good, kind of looks like Jim from The Office, which makes it even (laughs) funnier. So I'm going to go with Daniel Lynch. He's a guy who, you know, he's top 20, top 25 prospect, depending where you look on some sites, um, which adds to the pedigree factor. So I would go with Daniel Lynch, one, Carlos Hernandez, two, Tark Scooball, I think number three. I'm kind of out on Brady Singer at this point. What's scary about Lynch to me, and I totally agree with you, I think that Lynch is uh, the guy that I would choose as well with the Royals. Um he needs a little bit better control of both his fastball and his sinker. He, he has five pitches in his repertoire, but his sinker is getting absolutely wrecked this season. He's only throwing it actually less than 10% of the time. Uh, but in the times that he has, I mean, he, he has not located it well. Uh, it's usually hanging in the zone, and that's what's been smashed this year. So he needs to work on that a little bit. Um, 
as for, you know, his slider, he actually locates that relatively well, and he's done a decent job uh, throwing that 25% of the time. So it's going to be interesting to see how he mixes this thing up moving forward. But, you know, I like the fact that he projects well moving forward. He's a Royals number two prospect moving forward. I mean, and uh, yeah, let's not forget, he does look like John Krasinski. <laughs> All right, next one on the list. Jesus Lazardo, who got traded to the Marlins or his now teammate with the Marlins, Sixto Sanchez. This one, Derek, is the hardest for me. Um, I really like Sixto. And I think that this year has been a huge drag for him. And it's going to really kill his value, especially fantasy-wise. Um, but between the two of them, I think Lazardo has had more opportunities and has not proven much to me with those opportunities. I think Sixto, into the opportunities he's been given, has, has shown more promise to me. I know that the swing and miss rate's not necessarily there with Sixto. Uh, the strikeout rate, you're going to get a lot more with Jesus. But I think reliability-wise and just based off of previous performance, and, and honestly, a lot of this is me you know, basing this off of last year, Sixto has proven to me that he can be the guy in the rotation. I mean, it, it's so crazy, Derek, how quickly we seem to forget what numbers these guys have put up you know, from 2020, 2020, or 2019. I mean, Sixto had a very solid 2020 season. And then this year, obviously, it's gone haywire. But um, to me, I think that I'd prefer Sixto in the situation uh, between these two. I just don't really trust Jesus Lazardo. I, I need to see something more from him. He didn't really prove anything to me in 2020. Um, I'm concerned, obviously, about Sixto's health. That That's the number one drawback right there. Uh, no doubt, but I think if six show can return to kind of somewhat of the form we saw from 2020, I mean, he, he had a three, four, six ERA. His whip was a little higher than you'd want it to be at 121. But, uh, you know, the only real negative takeaway, in my opinion, was his K per nine, which is, you know, 7.62. I, I still thought six had more capabilities to go deeper in games. And, um, Jesus Lazardo relies so heavily on the swing and miss. And that's concerning. He just, I don't know. He hasn't been able to put it together. And yeah, I mean, let's not forget Lazardo's had injury history too. So I wouldn't totally dock Sixto in that regard, just because right now he's the guy that's injured. Uh, I like Sixto a little bit better. Maybe the ceiling is a little bit higher with Lazardo because he has the swing and miss stuff and Sixto for whatever reason, you see him throwing like a, a 99 mile per hour uh, fastball with movement on it. And you're going, how is this guy getting hit? But it's almost like the Mike Fultinowitz thing. Sometimes it just he gets hit even though the stuff looks absolutely nasty. And that is a little concerning that he does get hit more than you'd like him to, whether it's a lack of deception thing or some other reason. And, and the strikeouts won't be there as much, so the ceiling's not as high. But I I just think this is close enough that I'm going to go with the floor, which I think is higher of Sixto just because we've seen him succeed, like you mentioned, at the MLB level. Okay, last one we got here. Logan Gilbert, who has been pitching really, really well with the Mariners since a couple early struggles, or a guy we haven't seen yet, but is absolutely dominating in the minor leagues, Nick Lodolo. You know, I want Tyler Gilbert because he throws no hitters. No. <laughs> um, Logan Gilbert has been really impressive. Uh, I, I like what I've seen from him. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, recently outside of a start against Toronto that kind of went a little bit outside of the realm. He, he's been decent. He's been decent, but he hasn't put it consistently together um, for me. I would say between the two of them, I trust Nick Lodolo more. No, that's not the bias of the TCU, obviously. Go Frogs. Um, 
<laughs> I think that his strikeout rate has been really impressive with with what uh, Lodolo has kind of come up and shown. Um, you know, he hasn't cracked the MLB roster yet. Uh, the one little thing to kind of be concerned about is that Lodolo has been struggling with left shoulder fatigue, and so that's not something you want to see in a guy that's, you know, 23 years old. But he's been filthy this entire minor league season. He, he's had a 2-3-6 ERA. His whip is under one. Um, and his K per nine and, and strike of the walk ratio is ridiculous as well. 75 strikeouts, 11 walks. Um, he's logged nearly 50 innings and 12 starts and he's gone between double A Chattanooga, triple A Louisville. Um, so the only concern I have is, is his left shoulder fatigue, something to really monitor. I mean, at this young age, you know, you've seen guys like Tyler glass now go down after having dominant seasons in the MLB. And so I'm a little concerned that, is that something that's just a flare or is this something that's a bigger deal that we have to monitor? I still trust Nick Lodolo a lot more. I do like Gilbert. I'm not going to downplay him at all, um, but I'm going to take Lodolo on this. I'm going to go with Logan Gilbert. Um, Lodolo struggled a little bit in, I mean, it's a very small sample, two starts since he's been called up to AAA as opposed to AA. Gilbert, you have in the MLB already, so you, you know what you're getting. And it's been a little bit of a roller coaster for him. When he first came up, really struggled, um, got shelled a little bit, gave up 11 earned in 16 and two thirds in his first four starts. Then in June, he kind of found something. June, he had a uh, 2-0 record, 2.79 ERA, almost an 11K per nine in almost 20 innings. July, he went 3-0 in five starts, and he had a whip right around one. His K per nine was over 11 and a half. But then in August, he's kind of reverted back, and part of that was his last start. He played the Toronto Blue Jays and gave up five earned runs in four innings. Besides that, he had given up five earned runs in 11 innings in his first two starts in August, so it wouldn't be that bad ERA-wise. But you take away that Toronto start, and he is pitching really well ever since those first couple of starts when he did struggle when coming up to the MLB. He's from the same college as Jacob deGrom. I know that technically doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of a <laughs> I mean, he's got the frame that you want. So you're saying he's going to be the next Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> Not saying that, but <laughs> he has been really impressive to me. This is another guy where you can't totally look at the overall numbers like Daniel Lynch. Look at what they're doing lately because they're rookies. They're starting to figure it out. And I just would go with the the guy who is the uh, guy who's already up in the MLB. So you're already seeing it against professional competition because both guys were top pitching prospects. Maybe Lodolo will end up ranking a little bit higher as a pitching prospect, but it's, it's close enough to me that I'll just take the guy who is showing some major league success. All right. On to our next segment, the fantasy draft of fields that they should play games at. They had the field of dreams game in Iowa, which was really cool, really well done, really well produced. And it's opened up the world for a lot of people to say, they should play games at this stadium or they should play games at this fictional stadium or whatever you want. So we're going to do a fantasy draft and we'll each pick four. We'll go back and forth in order. And here's how this is going to work. So you can take, you know, like uh, a different movie. If there's another movie you want to take where that would be the setting, you can take that. If you want to take a theme, you can take, you can't take movies as a whole theme, but you could take like historic stadiums as a theme where one year you do it at like polo grounds, another year you do it at whatever other past historic field you want. You could do a theme like um, current minor league stadium. So they do a rotation of like every team does one at a minor league stadium. So you can do themes like that, or you can do specific ones like movies, 
some sort of that. I will give you the first pick. We will go a snake after that. What do you want first? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious for the uh, the first one, and I feel like I'm going to probably steal one of yours right away. How cool would it be if we had a game at the Sandlot? I mean, that would just be something super special. I would kill to see that happen. Uh, have the dog in, uh, you know, the left field stands. If you hit a bomb, it's just going straight to the, the beast, uh, eating that up. And you have to designate a player to hop the fence and go grab the ball from the beast. That's something that's important. You know who I'd love to see play in that game are the Tampa Bay Rays. So that that means that they force um, one of the greatest of all time, I would imagine, to, to go hop a fence and grab the, the dog for the beast, which would be Brett Phillips. I just would love to see that energy uh, in the sandlot. He, he's like a kid playing baseball. I need to see the Rays in that game. So that's that's my first pick. Okay, so I have back-to-back picks. I'm going to, for my first one, take the – this will be a theme one, Backyard Baseball Stadium. So I'd love Dang to it. see, like, <laughs> outdoor backyard type of baseball, like when you were a kid and you'd go to baseball practice just at some random field, that type of thing. But specifically, if we're talking about certain stadiums in backyard baseball – I don't know if it's pronounced steel or steely and then playground steel stadium. Yeah. And then playground commons is another good one. And then for my next pick, I'm going to go with the past stadiums one. I think it'd be so cool to have a game at polo grounds where you have like 250 to left and right, but 500 to center field do one at Ebbets do one at Forbes fields. You kind of do a rotation of some of these old stadiums. And obviously some of these aren't going to be still standing, but they put this stadium together in Iowa. So why couldn't you just put together a makeshift stadium somewhere else? Yeah. So first of all, steel stadium was very high on my list. Um, that is hilarious. That's, you know, this, this is what's crazy about this backyard baseball is such a big part of our childhood. Uh, and when Derek came up with this concept, the first thing that came to my mind wasn't a movie. It was backyard baseball. And so I will have to use a backyard baseball stadium. That's not steel stadium because I had another on my list and it was the, the seaport stadium. Do you remember when they made a 3d, I, I believe it was uh, GameCube. Um, it was the backyard stadium at the beach. And so I can't remember the exact name of it. I think they just called it beachfront or seafront. And so the left field fence was actually the boardwalk. Maybe that's what it was. It might've been the boardwalk stadium. And so they had a boardwalk to be left field. So you started hitting people. If you hit a home run over the <laughs> into the boardwalk and left field, I thought that was awesome. Uh, and then you're this from, this is from the GameCube version of backyard baseball. Mm, I there's guess some, I'll give you that one. Yeah. There's some nostalgia involved in that. And so the best part about it though, was that it was all sand that they were playing on. So they literally played on a sand lot and like it was that. not, yeah, I loved it. So I, I think that that would be, you know, if I couldn't play at Steel Stadium, which was my number one, uh, the beachfront, the seaport, whatever that stadium was called, that's where I'd want it to be. Look it up. Backyard Baseball GameCube. It was the beach setting. And, and it was, it, it, do you remember the show Rocket Power? Yeah, of course. Okay. It's like that. It's like they were playing at that setting. It, it was really cool. I, and I'm guessing the creators of backyard baseball watched that show and said, we're going to literally steal the setup and make it our own. So that's one of my choices. The other one is this. Okay. The- theoretically this won't work, but I still love it. Anyways, there is a wiffle ball field that was built in Connecticut and it's modeled after Fenway park. 
And it is remarkable. It's in Connecticut. It was on uh, in Sports Illustrated, I believe, uh, you know, mid 2000s. And it gave me the inspiration, mid 2010s, I should say. So like 2012, 2013, I remember seeing something like that. And it inspired me when I have my future home, my poor wife, uh, who must not be named uh, of the future, she will have to deal with me building my own Red Sox Fenway Park themed wiffle ball field. But this, Derek, is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Um, if you Google backyard wiffle ball Fenway Park, it's the first thing that will come up. And it is spectacular. I mean, it literally looks like a mini Fenway Park. And so I want to see a bunch of MLB guys, you know, throw 100 miles per hour with that short distance from pitcher to catcher. And if they can manage to, you know, drive what is essentially a 150 mile per hour fastball, see how far that thing shoots and probably break a window of the next door neighbor. That's <laughs> that's one of my fields. OK, so I have back to back picks here. This is tough. Um Ooh, okay. I'm um, first one. I'm gonna take an aircraft carrier. This is kind of interesting. <laughs> they did this with uh college basketball where they played like games on an aircraft carrier. I want to see that with baseball, and you have home runs that just like go in the water, or that'd be cool. Uh, it's just kind of a cool idea. You can get some of the like military people in attendance. So I think that would be a lot of fun. And then man, there's so many good ones still left. Um okay, let's go with this idea. I think it'd be really cool to do like a college baseball type of series where you go to different, like maybe every team goes to whatever, uh, some college that's close by and plays games at their college baseball stadium. Right. And maybe you have some teams playing at areas where you normally wouldn't. So like you send the Seattle Mariners over a state to Oregon and play where Oregon state plays like one of the best baseball programs there, or you send somebody to, some of the SEC schools who like South Carolina doesn't have a MLB team there. You send a, a team there. I think that'd be really cool to do like a college baseball series. Yeah. I like that a lot. And uh, it's kind of funny. We've been on the same exact page for the most part, this entire, you know, draft. So thank God we're not actually drafting against each other in real life. Cause we're, we're thinking too much on the same plane. My final field is a college baseball field. It is called Carol B land stadium. Derek, the best baseball field I've ever seen in my entire life. It is at a college that is not D1. It is called Point Loma. And this stadium literally is on the water. I mean, it is unbelievable. So if you go and check out Carroll B. Land Stadium, the view of the outfield warning track on is straight up ocean. I mean, you can literally hit a ball into the ocean. Like, Kind of similar to what you see with the the Giants stadium, uh, Oracle Park. I mean, they hit it in McCovey Cove. You can hit the ball into the ocean, and that is pretty dang cool. The setting is unbelievable. Pictures don't even do it justice because when you're on the actual field, you can just straight up only see ocean. Uh, And and so, I mean, you hit the ball out of the ballpark. (laughs) You're watching it go into the water. That is pretty cool to me. I would love to see an MLB game there. Um, Probably the – coolest field that i've ever seen that's that's non-mlb related i i love that field i like that i just saw a picture of it okay some honorable mentions um how could we forget the moon sponsored by <laughs> jeff bezos and amazon that would be fun <laughs> um i think anything where you did current same thing with the college thing where you did just like everybody's current minor league affiliates you rotated through with like triple a double a so one year you have a series here or there at your different 
teams. Hey Arnold, the stadium and that TV show where they're kind of in an alley. It's almost like similar to stickball in New York with how you'd play that one. This would be, this was probably my first miss the Negro leagues, old stadiums, any that are still available. I believe Rickwood field is still up. And then the Negro leagues museum is actually in Kansas city. So if they could do it out in Kansas city and and some sort of celebration there, I think it would be pretty cool. Um, The stadium from eastbound and down in Mexico with La Flama Blanca. How about one in Central Park in New York between the Mets and the Yankees? I I like the creativity here and going along with that, like one that I feel like would be really fun would be if they just went to the campus at Google or Microsoft (laughs) and they, they just decided to start launching bombs straight into the building windows. And like all the employees are like, what the heck is going on? I mean, uh, if you're a listener and you work at Google, Amazon, Microsoft, any of those, I apologize in advance, but my guess is the majority probably are more focused on tech than they are watching baseball games. So to just randomly see a bunch of MLB guys step up and start drilling bombs into their building would be pretty amazing. And those are huge campuses too. I mean, you can find the grass space. Uh, I'll just nominate TCU's campus commons. I, I think that, you know, they've done college game day there. Why can't we just have a, a professional baseball game in the center of the commons and have a bunch of, you know, students leaning outside of their dorm rooms, watching a bunch of baseballs, trying to catch one midair. I, I mean, the, the options, Derek are endless. And as you mentioned, the moon is one let's just play on the sun. <laughs> okay. Uh, the last two that I had, you do a, I guess there's like a minor league team or independent team in Alaska that does a midnight game during the summer when it's, you know, the, the time never uh, makes the sun go down. So it's always bright. You do a game super late at night there. That'd be cool. And I, I think beyond that, the other one that comes to mind, and this would kind of go in line with the college baseball thing. There's a school up in Colorado. Uh, I forget what it is. If it's Pueblo or I don't know, Adams state, one of the two is like the highest altitude school in the country. I, I think it is Adams state actually. And they usually win like cross country and, and all these like running sports. Cause they're long distance running. Cause they're in such good shape from being in uh, such high altitude, put a game up there because just think how far these home runs are going to go so at like 8,000 feet of altitude, as opposed to in Colorado, it's only like I say only, but like 5,200. So it's basically not quite double that, but pretty close. I mean, that, you could probably see some 550 foot home runs. While we're on the topic, Derek, what is your absolute favorite baseball stadium? And it can't be your favorite team stadium because I know, honestly, a lot of answers. Oracle Park is is one for many people and it might be mine own, but uh, so it can't be Dodger Stadium for me and it can't be Oracle Park for you. What is it? I'll probably go Petco. Petco. I like that. I, I think Petco is a pretty great one. I'm going to go with the uh, the classic Fenway Park for me uh, because a lot of people don't know this. So Fenway Park, yeah, it's a baseball stadium, but do you know it's classified as a museum? No, interesting. Yeah, so it's a museum, and it's crazy because there's so much more, obviously, than the actual um, you know, happenings surrounding baseball there. They have a garden uh, where they grow their own crops there. Uh, they sell them at games, too, apparently. I mean, it is remarkable. If you take the tour at Fenway Park, I mean, it will make you fall in love with that ballpark and and not just because of the baseball aspect of it. But of course, how can you not be romantic about baseball? On to our last segment, shotgun six pack speed round. 
on a scale of one to 10, Greg Nelson Cruz's love of technology. And if you're unaware <laughs> of this reference, Nelson Cruz posted a tweet saying how much he loved Best Buy, how much he loved technology. And it was very funny because he didn't really appear to be loving it. And he was pointing at a TV on the most barren wall ever. It was like a 38 inch TV. It looked like it was from 2005. So on a scale of one to 10, what's the grade here? I mean, I want to give him an 11. It was so funny. And, I, you know, all of the influencers of the world just sat back and cringed. I'd imagine watching that because, I mean, you could argue this was like a parody, a meme. I, it was hilarious. The TV had nothing special about it whatsoever. To, to be honest, like, was he selling it to us? I, I, I can't even tell. I, I don't feel like I was being sold anything except for that. I just love Nelson Cruz more after that. Number two. Steve Cohen's tweets, which this is in reference to, obviously there was the Kumar Rocker one from a couple weeks ago and the one that came today. It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Now they are 1-0 since he posted this tweet. So Steve Cohen's tweets about the Mets are blank. Uh, they're real for one thing. I mean, holy cow, that guy is the most real owner you'll ever have. Uh, you know, a lot of times, um, Jerry Depoto is the one that comes to my mind first, where the trade deadline hits, Depoto ruins his locker room by trading away uh, Kendall Graveman. And then he sits there and says, Yeah, I mean, we didn't do that well, but like we tried. I mean, then you have ownership, right? Because uh, Depoto is obviously not an owner, he's a GM, baseball operations you have the owners that will say, yeah, we're trying to win a championship every year. That's like the Colorado Rockies. Cohen is very real about everything. And he is willing to, to say, you know, we suck. We are not good. Or, Hey, we, we've got to step it up here. I like it. He he's literally one of the, he, he's like another fan on Twitter that just happens to actually have a say about something. And, and you got to tip the cap to him because it's not like he hasn't done his job. They, they go out in the off season, they get Francisco Lindor. He doesn't do squat for them. At the trade deadline, they go and they get Javier Baez. Baez gets hurt. And it just feels like no matter what direction the Mets go, it just never works out in their favor. And and you, you hate to see it if you're a Mets fan, but, I mean, it's just the Mets continuing to be the Mets, and Cohen should probably have realized this, but he, he's very real with how he is, and I, I appreciate it personally. What about For you? me, the blank is great content. That's what the tweets are. It's funny seeing him as a fan, and I don't blame him for that. I could also see why this would be bad business, though, from the players. Like, I'd be – I don't know. I, I wouldn't be too happy if I was one of the players. And imagine now, does this, like, open the door where if Francisco Lindor is unhappy with where the Mets are, can he tweet, like, Steve Cohen sucks, you know, because that's that's kind of the same thing that he's doing. So right. it is a bit of a fine line, but it's great content for us, so I don't really care, to be honest. Number three. The Red Sox are dead. Again, we asked this question last week. We both said no. But since then, they have now lost more games. I believe they're about to get swept by the Yankees at time of recording here. The Red Sox are dead again. No, I, I still can't count them out. I mean, they, they just got Chris Sale back. Um, yeah, the identities kind of slipped from them a little bit. But I refuse to count them out just because that lineup still, to me, on any given day can win ball games. The run differential is still better than the Yankees. It's plus 55 heading into, obviously, this time of recording, which that might change a little bit here. But, um, you know, one thing, by the way, Derek, the Toronto Blue Jays run differential, 118. So kind of crazy that, you know, the Blue Jays are still behind the Red Sox by four and a half games at the time of recording. Uh, but the Red Sox are in the hunt for the wild card in – 
And the thing about this game of baseball is you could have one really bad week, two really bad weeks, and then come back and, you know, start crushing it again. They haven't even been that bad. They've been five and five in the last 10. That's going to change up a little bit. I believe it'll be four and six at the uh, last 10 after their loss, uh, inevitably, to the Yankees here. It's not a good trend that they're going in, but to say that they are dead would just be silly at this point, considering at the time of recording, I mean, they're still technically a wild card spot. The one thing that's a little scary is that the Oakland A's are really, really good. But even then, the A's haven't been playing that great of baseball. So it's tough for me. I don't see the the Mariners being a threat at all um, in terms of the wild card. Somehow they're still hanging in there. I think the Blue Jays are more of a threat. Uh, but it's going to be between the Yankees, the A's, and the Red Sox for those two wild card spots. And and I think that the Red Sox are still very much in this. Give it a week, we might be saying, oh, are the Red Sox all of a sudden one of the best teams in baseball? Because they have the ability to be that. Yeah, everything you said is right and reasonable, but I'm going to overreact. They're dead. D-E-A-D. <laughs> are they four. the wicked witch of the West? <laughs> the Padres won't make the playoffs. True or false? Wow. I, I mean, to be honest, this is much more of a yes or no question. And I'm going to say, yes, they will not make the playoffs. Last week, I, I thought it was a little much to kind of count them out. But my gosh, you know who might be dead are the Padres. The way that they've been playing. I mean, this is a bad trend that they're in. The Red Sox, they've not been playing great baseball, but the Padres look terrible. They just got swept by the Rockies. And I mean, they are now eight and a half games at the time of recording behind the LA Dodgers and the Dodgers at the time of recording are playing the pirates. So wonder how that's going to go. It's probably going to end up being back by nine. More importantly, the Cincinnati Reds, they, they need to step it up a little bit, but the schedule the Reds have is actually unbelievable. They do not face anybody difficult in the month of September. Um, they have, I believe one total game. Uh, versus a team that's over 500, I want to say. It is remarkable what the Reds are going to have to, you know, go through, which is virtually nothing. I mean, they're going to have to face the Pirates, the Marlins, and the Cubs a bunch over the next month and a half, while the Padres have to face the Dodgers, the Giants, the Braves. I mean, a bunch of first-place teams. This is not good if you're a Padres fan. Getting swept by the Rockies, that's probably the last thing they could afford to do right now. Um, and they, this is with Fernando Tatis Jr. being back. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I kind of agree with you. I think the Reds are going to usurp them. Or Heck, even at this point, like, there's a real chance that a second NL East team makes it. The Braves have moved ahead of the Phillies. Who knows if the Phillies can recapture what they had when they first got out of the second half. Who knows if the Mets can figure it out. There's a lot of people on their tail. And at this point, the way they're playing – I am kind of scared that they're not going to make it. They still have a bright future because they'll have even more guys coming back from injury next year, like Mike Clevenger. But yeah, it's been kind of a disappointing season so far for the Padres, but still plenty of time to fix that. Okay, number five, the MLB proposing a $100 million tax floor is blank. I mean, it's it's reasonable, I feel like. Um, it's tough to say just based off of kind of looking at where we're at right now, that would rank, I believe, with the Brewers, where they're kind of sitting, uh, where the Rockies sit financially. Um, I, I, I think it's reasonable. There are 12 teams, I believe, who are under this mark. 
That is a good amount. And yeah, Milwaukee and Texas are right there. So it wouldn't be too much to ask for them to get over. But like you have teams like Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Miami, who are all under $60 million. If they're having right. an extra $40 million in payroll, that's awesome because that means they're all bringing on extra good players. And that's great for the different players because now there's a bigger buyer's market for what contracts they're going to get. Now all of a sudden their contracts are going up for what they're going to do. So I love this, that there would be a salary floor. If anything, I think it should be even higher than a hundred million, make it 110, make it 120. But I love that you would have more competitive teams. You would have less teams tanking. I think it would really help because I've always been of the standpoint that, you know, do I love the fact that the Dodgers are, have this crazy insane payroll that's, closer to 300 million than it is 200 million. No, but at the same point in time, I got to respect it that the ownership is actually willing to put in right. the money for the investment of a good baseball team, because guess what? All these owners are multi multi-millionaires billionaires that can, maybe they can't afford what the Dodgers can do because it's in LA and you have a big ownership group, but at the very least you're telling me you can't do the hundred million dollar payroll. Yeah. Right. I don't believe that. So one I thing that I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that, I really agree with the point that you made about I'd almost want to raise it just to give our listeners an idea. League average right now is at $130 million. So keep in mind that's league average, right? Well, the Cleveland Indians payroll is 48 million. Okay, 48 million. They are almost a hundred million dollars under league average, which is just inexcusable. I like no ownership deserves to to you know, own an MLB team, if you're just straight up going out there and, you know, putting out the weakest team possible. And and to be honest, the Indians team is actually not the worst I've ever seen. I mean, it's basically a 500 team right now. But doesn't that make it worse? Doesn't that make it worse that you have a 500 team? It does. That little. Imagine if you were actually spending money, how good that team could be. It does. And in the fans in Cleveland, in my opinion, are some of the best out there. Uh, I really think that the, the sports town that is Cleveland deserves better. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that if you made that lowest C, uh, floor, maybe 110, 120 million, because the league average is 130, I have no problem with that. Yeah, Cleveland Guardians, more like guarding their wallet. Okay, <laughs> that was terrible. I'm sorry. Was... But number six, last one, the MLB is proposing a $180 million luxury tax threshold. That is blank. Um, it's it's fair, I think. Uh, right now, you're looking at where the league is at, and so that's ranking at around seven, uh, which is the LA Angels. Um, I think it's a fair assessment of where you could be, especially if they have a floor. Uh, that might make it even make more sense. I wouldn't mind if it was at $200 million. Um, it would still encourage teams to spend some money. Uh, I think based off these, you know, lucrative contracts that are being handed out, it's going to be really hard for players to be on board with something like that, because all of a sudden that might take away from these massive deals that have been handed out to guys like Lindor, uh, looking at this off season, guys like Corey Seager, what, what is he going to command? Probably something similar, right? Well, if you add, you know, that luxury tax level to be at 180, I mean, I, I would almost want it to be just at 200. I agree with you right now. It's two ten, 
Um, that seems like a pretty big drop to go down 30. And again, you can go over that number. It just costs you a lot of money. And what we're seeing right now is nobody's wanting to go over except for the Dodgers because who knows, maybe by winning the World Series last year, they were able to bring in some extra cash. So they just went into this year saying, if the right situation approaches itself, like being able to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, we'll go over the luxury tax. We won a World Series. We're trying to defend it, all that stuff. But typically we don't see anybody go over it. Maybe one team like the Dodgers, who's who's all in on it. So I don't think they need to lower it. If anything, they should probably raise it, to be completely honest, to like 220, 225. But yeah, I'd be fine with 200. 180 just seems a little low. I don't totally hate it, though. I, I love the tax floor more than I dislike lowering the luxury tax threshold. So it is fine, I guess is what? my word. One thing that's interesting to me, too, is uh, if you look at the overall payroll, um, the Dodgers obviously are way above that threshold, which is exactly what we're talking about. It's going to be curious to to kind of look forward to this offseason for a team like L.A. that's losing so many free agents, right, or players to free agency. Um, because right now, the Dodgers' 26-man payroll, it's $140 million. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies have them beat at 157000 or 157000 can you imagine? $157 million uh, in that 26-man payroll. And, and, and kind of where you look at it right now, there's a bunch of teams in that realm of the 125s to 130 for their 26-man roster. So it's obvious a lot of what the Dodgers have right now is on retained. Uh, another thing is the Trevor Bauer situation. Kind of how does that, that filter into all of this, too? Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I just think that we need to have probably a more balanced league financially. We need to encourage those teams that claim that they're broke to start spending money or don't own the team, sell it off to somebody that can, you know, and you're seeing the New York Mets, the Mets are third right now in payroll. Um, they have an owner that cares and that says something to me and I would like it. And I think it'd be great for baseball if you had 30 owners that cared. Can you imagine if this was just a balanced league, kind of like what we see with the NFL? Um, that would make this so much better. And, you know, as much as I love the Dodgers, it does kind of suck that, uh, you know, other teams don't have the benefit of the doubt of, you know, when they have a major player that they can't just go out and bring him back. Now, Corey Seager is somebody that keep the eye on. I don't think the Dodgers are going to bring him back. He's going to be too expensive, but they have the financial flexibility to do that. And other teams such as, the Milwaukee Brewers, for example, or let's just go to the Indians, the Orioles, the Pirates, the Marlins, the Rays. They're not prone to do that. Uh, so it's going to be scary for guys like Wander Franco that, you know, what if he's good and like he's supposed to be? Will the Rays just let him walk? Probably. Will they trade him at the deadline? I mean, like, that's what's ruining the game. They can't keep doing this. And so, you know, one thing that we're missing, Derek, are the Joe Mowers of the world. Uh, the Clayton Kershaw's the Adam Wainwrights, the guys that have stayed, the Yadier Molinas, the guys that have stayed with one team, the Freddie Freemans of their entire career. We need more of that. We need more identity. It's good to see Fernando Tatis Jr. will probably be a Padre for life. Um, you want that. That's what makes the game better. Uh, it's unfortunate for Mike Trout. That's the only one that really is getting <laughs> kind of killed in that situation. But it's something I want to see. I want, I want more faces to remain with the organizations that, you know, they kind of belong to be with. Yeah, very well said. That is Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's going to do it for today's show. It is closing time here. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. We're on social media at Booze and Baseball. Email us, boozeandbaseballgmail.com. If you have any questions, fantasy baseball mailbags, some alcohol for us to review. Thanks to Mixkit for the stock music. Thank you to Man Cave Merch for our coasters. Dusty? 
Cheers, brother. This is a uh, one thing too that you can actually purchase on our behalf too. We want to be able to give you guys a deal on top of that. Um, so please, if you use the code BNB15, you get 15% off your order with Man Cave merch. Uh, I will tell you this. I probably want a better drink to put on top of this coaster uh, for our next show. I am really regretting my decision to drink well, this Michelada. Well, have fun finishing that. Drink responsibly, everyone. Have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Prost. Prost.